Welcome to The Contemplative Life. Three pastors, friends, and spiritual companions help us explore spirituality through a contemplative lens. I'm Christina Roberts. I'm Chris Roberts. I'm Christina Kaiser. We're glad you joined us. Hello, it's great to be with you. Today we are joined by our special guest, Charles Park. He's a longtime friend of ours and a pastor of the river in New York City. Hello, Charles. It's great to be with you. Hi. Hi, Christina. So obviously we've been talking as a small group here a little bit off and on about this notion of love and love is a big deal in most faith traditions. But in particular, you've been doing a deep dive into agape love So having this opportunity to glean wisdom and work in this area with you, maybe we can start by picking your brain a little bit. When you use that word agape, what does that mean to you? Yeah, agape is a very important word in Christian faith. And since I'm a pastor of a Christian church, this is a very important topic because it's surprisingly overlooked in many ways. It doesn't come up that often. I frequently talk to Christians who grew up in church who really don't have any idea what agape is. They may have never even heard of it, or even if they did, they really don't know too much about it. And yet, it is the greatest commandment. When you hear, when Jesus was asked, how does someone get saved into heaven? The answer was not for spiritual laws. The answer was, God, each other, as you agape yourself. Most Christians have heard of the greatest commandment, and that's where it is. And he says that all the requirements of the Bible, the law and the prophets, basically, that means all the requirements of the Bible hangs on this greatest commandment. Agape is everything, he says. And so it's curious why it's so overlooked to some sense. And I think one of the reasons is because it's kind of cliche, right? Even Beatles would say love is all you need, right? And love, blah, 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 love. So it just goes over your head because, yeah, you're supposed to love, so what? But it's just what everyone says, what every pretty much every good religion says. And love feels very bland. But agape is a unique type of love. It's not just love. There were four Greek words for love. There were more, but four main words. And most people know this, like eros. That's where erotic comes from, that's romantic love. There was philia, or Philadelphia, brotherly love, or friendship. Philia is really like what you like, friendship. And then there was storge, which was like love in the family, like mother's love for their children, storge. Agape is unique from those other types of love in that it is unconditional. It is unconditional love. And if you read books like Agape in the New Testament by this Franciscan monk, he really delves into the definition of that word agape. And it's very clear the uniqueness of this is is in unconditionality of this love. Bible verse like God sends rain and the sun to both good and the righteous and the evil. It's unconditional. The love of God shown to the young son in the prodigal son parable, that's unconditional. It's unconditional love that is agape. 
And that's where the uniqueness and difficulty of this love is, because it's very difficult to love unconditionally. People who are not like you, people who think different from you, it's easier to love people who think like you, look like you, is in your tribe. Or even yourself, agape yourself, you like yourself because, you know, what? You're successful, you're beautiful, uh, people like you, you sing well, you just got a promotion. It's easy to love yourself when things, you know, you're doing well. When you make a mistake, when you get fired, when you stumble, when you lose your wallet. It's so easy to go, I'm an idiot. I, how am I going to make it? I'm stupid. I, nobody likes me. I'm alone. I'm, it's very hard to appreciate yourself and love yourself and be good to yourself when you're in that mood of, I don't want to get up. Charles, I'm curious. I think oftentimes when we have a particular area or word that we're wanting to dive deeper into, sometimes it's connected to a personal experience that we've had in our lives that propels that curiosity. And so I'm curious if that's been part of your story. Yeah, I think I think I grew up in a culture, East Asian culture, where performance determines your worth. And living in a place like Boston, going to like a university like MIT, living in New York, I think the culture or everyone around you, your performance determines your worth. What you do is what you are. There is a joke that in East Asian, like China, Korea, Japan, as a kid growing up, if you get an A, that's average. If you get a B, that's below average. If you get a C, you can't come home. No, can't have dinner. D is don't come home. And F is find another family, right? And so... <laughs> There's that Confucian culture of how you behave, how you perform. It determines everything in terms of how you are treated, who you are, what your worth is. And I saw that wreak so much havoc and damage in people, the psychological damage, the emotional damage that comes from having to live up to some standards and struggling all your life with a voice in your head that says you are a failure, you have failed to live up to these standards. And I think that's where the cross was such a liberating message in that it's not about you. <laughs> it's about God's love for you, which is unconditional, which is liberating on one hand and very challenging on the other hand. Because then, if you're going to accept that love into yourself, where old hymns would say, on Christ the sock I stand, all others ground is sinking sand. If you're going to really go for that, then you can't feel good if you're successful. And you can't feel bad if you fail. It means you have to let go of everything that makes up your identity. Like you, a person builds up their identity over a lifetime. I'm a good father. I provide for my children. I'm a good mom. These identity markers make us feel like this is the purpose for our lives. This is why we live. This is who I am. This is why I'm worth the space I take up because I am this way or I do these things. And today's celebrity-obsessed culture, I think it's even more accentuated. I have to look a certain way. I have to succeed in a certain way. 
or else I'm a failure. All that has to die. This is what it means to dine to yourself and take up your cross daily. It's not physical death. It's a spiritual death. It's a death of who you are inside of what makes up everything who you are. And those are my personal experiences that make me really appreciate agape. Charles, I know that you've mentioned this death and rebirth as a big part of the process for one of the things I hear you saying is oneness with God. Like you're not just by yourself and in the universe, in this world, you're actually connected to God and to God's love. But maybe what are some spiritual practices that you use that maybe you even pass on to others that connect people to agape? So I, I want to talk about an internal process and an external process or internal discipline or external spiritual discipline. The internal one would be whenever you are in that space of feeling alienated and judgmental towards yourself or someone. I think that's the signal should go up right away to ask God's spirit to come into your heart. And I would ask, I would plead with God at that moment to come into my heart and pour out agape. As the Bible says, Holy Spirit pours agape into our hearts. That's a straight quote, right? I think that is like the primary role of the Holy Spirit. As Jonathan Edwards would say that the, the nature of the Holy Spirit is agape. And the Holy Spirit is agape. So I would ask, come Holy Spirit, which is an old spiritual practice, to say, I need to calm my heart, try to connect with God, who is agape. And that is the one thing I need most above all else, because I need to feel better about myself. I need to feel better about my circumstances, which is all the time. <laughs> and I can go to like success to make myself feel better. Or I can go to Holy Spirit to help me feel better. And so those are like internal processes, spiritual discipline, or inviting the Holy Spirit to come into your heart and speak to you. And so that you get out of that vicious loop of self-hatred. An external spiritual discipline would be to try to extend your reach of diversity and your connection as much as you can. Because unconditional means no conditions in your connections with other people. And so the more diversity you have in your connection, the better. Because that's the only way to extend that. You can say to yourself all day long, look, I'm not a racist. I love all people. I assure you, everyone's a racist. It's all in our brain. <laughs> it's ingrained in our, our nature. And so the only way to get out of that is actually having personal connections to as many different people as possible. And so that would be another spiritual discipline is try to find people who are different from you. These are all... Such helpful things that you're mentioning. And I think there's those moments where it like connects in the spirit, right? You say, oh, I do know those moments where I feel down on myself or where I do feel ashamed that I have felt so disconnected from others. So I appreciate all that you're bringing to the table. And it's reminding me, we swim in this stream of the spiritual director kind of movement. Chris and I were recently at this spiritual directors international conference where Jim Finley spoke of unconditional regard so even as you're speaking, I am brought back to that moment of, yes, what does it look like to sit with one another 
in this notion of unconditional regard? Yeah, I think those moments where we self we don't take those moments very seriously. In fact, we almost think of it as a virtue. Uh, I haven't exercised enough. Oh, you lazy bum, you're sitting on a couch, you and what do you need to, you, uh, you need to get up, you lazy bum, and go to the gym. And we think that's actually a virtuous thing to do. It's very important. Going to the gym is a wonderful thing. But how we motivate ourselves, it's incredibly important that we don't, that is, to me, that is sin. Like we think like cheating, stealing, killing, these are the serious sins. Well, all those things actually come from that, that hard place of needing something to motivate ourselves or make ourselves feel better. The Bible tells us that all sin or the fall of humanity came from eating of the knowledge of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 3. When you look at the original Hebrew, it can also be translated as knowledge of good and bad, better and worse. It's basically measuring and judging. That's what it's called. And the Bible usually tells us what things are by what it's called and what it does, what the effects are. And in, in Genesis 3, the effects of eating of this fruit, popular imagination is Eve ate an apple, a forbidden fruit, had a sexual intercourse with the serpent, some wild, fantastic stuff. That's not in the text. That's just people making things up. But what the text says is that the first thing that happens is that they cover themselves up. They found fig leaves to cover themselves up. When you think about that, before they ate of this fruit, they were naked. They looked at them. They were able to look at themselves naked, transparent. Everything was visible. And they were happy. They, saw, they, they were happy with who they were. And then all of a sudden, they feel compelled to cover up. Like they saw things they did not like. They are measuring themselves, judging themselves, and coming saying, I come up short. I don't look good. I don't like this part. I don't like that part. And they cover up. And today we do the same thing with like success or beauty or things like that to cover up the holes in our hearts, that voice in our head that says, you're not good enough. We need coverings. The second thing that happens is that they hide from God. God was their best friend. They always walked together at that time. It's like when you see a former best friend, now you have bad blood, like Taylor Swift would say, coming down the street, and then you don't like them anymore, so you walk into a store, so you don't have to talk to them. Someone who was safe to you, someone who you loved, someone you just liked, and you felt nothing towards, but good, now you don't feel safe. You have judged them. You have measured them, and they come up short. They are not good. They are unsafe. They are a being that you're afraid that makes you afraid. It's not that God judges them. They judge God. That's what happens first. They judge God as unsafe, and they hide. The third thing that happens is that God asks, you know, what happened here? And Adam says, the woman you put here with me, she caused all the problem. You remember that? So Adam is judging or measuring the women and God, and they're coming up short. They are not, they didn't do good. They messed up. He's blaming them. So you see alienation and judgment 
and three dimension towards themselves, towards yourself, towards each other, towards God or reality that God stands behind. And it's judging, measuring, and being alienated from. I hate you. I hate myself. I come up short. And so that's where the greatest commandment is such a wonderful thing because it's the reverse of the fall of humanity in three dimensions. It's unconditionally love God, unconditionally love yourself, unconditionally love each other. Do you see how that's the antidote to the three things that happen in the fall of humanity? That's the reverse. It's, it's like a novel coming to symmetrical it's like a puzzle that fits. It's the reverse. Yeah, and I appreciate too the naming of the internal and external and multi-dimensions. And I love to even when you say agape, you have to think, or Christina, you're the unconditional regard is I think the word that you used. It causes me to have to slow down a little bit and to think through, okay, how am I responding to myself right now? How am I responding to the person in front of me? There seems to just be this like invitation to a slowness and a pause, which I find really helpful in this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. You have so to pause you. and think through what's happening. What is my motivation? Yeah, go to the gym. But because you like yourself, because you want to treat yourself well, because you are worth investing in, that would lead to life. If you like flagellate yourself to go to the gym, now in the end, it'll come back and put you in a very dark place. And motivation is so important. And that's where slowing down is an essential spiritual practice because it allows you to examine your motivations, not just behavior. Now, behavior matters. Now, I always get asked, does that mean I can do anything and God's just going to... Behavior matters. If you fall from a 10-story building, you're going to hurt when you meet the ground. When prodigal son goes off, he eats, he starves. Starvation matters. But who he is doesn't change. What he does matters, but who he is doesn't change. So that word regard is a very insightful word. Mm-hmm. That It's about unconditional regard, that the person in front of you is a human being, equivalent in worth to the life of God incarnate. But they may be behaving badly, in which case you have to protect yourself from that bad behavior. Success, I say go for success, because it makes life a lot more easy. Be as successful as you can be. That's great. But what's the motivation? Are you trying to be successful because you feel bad about yourself? Because you think somehow success is going to make you a worthier person? That will never work. And it'll put you in a darker place. If you want to be successful because, you know, you like taking trips to Paris or something, and you leave it at that, there's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. Go enjoy yourself in Paris. Good. So that distinction does have to be made. It's regard not behavior. This is great. Charles, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your thoughts, your study and your work with us. It's been really good. And I'm sure that our listeners will get a lot that they can then take with them into the rest of their lives. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Love you guys. And you as well. We'll see you soon. is the moment in our podcast where we take some time to talk about what we are into. So tell me, what are you into? I am into fancy perfumes. So we have two students currently staying with us for two weeks from France, and they brought us some lovely different 
gifts. And one of them was a collective of different nice smelling perfumes and soaps and lotions. And in addition to that, so they they share the hall bathroom. We have different bathrooms. And whenever I walked down the hall, just the whiff of these like really fun French perfumes permeate the air. So I am very much into fun, fancy French perfumes. How many Fs can I get into that statement? <laughs> that is so fun. I love that you are getting whiffs of fun, fancy French perfumes. <laughs> we pulled out our dehydrator last night because we have this oregano growing in our herb bed, which apparently blooms and takes off really early if it's been going a couple of years. This is all new to me. So I'm just learning, but we dried a bunch of oregano in the dehydrator and then crush it up and put it in a bottle so we can keep using it. And apparently it will just keep growing and start talking by the end of the summer. But I love our dehydrator. We don't use it all the time, but when it comes out, it's so useful. I'm very thankful for it. I like that. I think often talk about people talk about dehydrating beef, but not oregano. So that's lovely. As a Greek person, I really admire that. <laughs> Very fun. I am into making space. We just recently cleared out the garage and there are a couple of things that we didn't need. And you have to make a decision. Am I ever going to use this? And some Marie lady on Netflix, I don't know, has a Marie Kondo has this idea if you don't use it an X amount of time, you know, you can get rid of it. So yeah, making space in our garage, posting bikes that the kids don't use anymore on Craigslist and just, just making room and getting rid of things that you don't need and making runs to your, you know, your local charity that you can pass some of these things on to other people. So I'm sure that feels so good. Thank you everyone for being with us and we will look forward to being with you again soon. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, we invite you to stay connected by signing up for our Foundry Spiritual Center newsletter where you can learn about even more programs and offerings. You'll find a link to subscribe in the show notes or visit us anytime at foundrysc.com. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you have a great week.